The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. Uh, I am your co-host today, John McAndrew, and we're speaking today with Darlene Lancer. She's our guest. I'll tell you a little bit about her and uh, about her new book, Conquering Shame and Codependency. Darlene is a licensed family therapist with 30 years of experience working with individuals and couples and families. She lectures on self-esteem, codependency, and addiction. And she's authored uh, several books, including Codependency for Dummies and Ten Steps to Self-Esteem. And, of course, her new book, uh, Conquering Shame and Codependency, which examines how shame and codependency work together to destroy relationships. And she'll explain to us the underlying motivations and patterns and hopefully shed some new light on the dynamics of codependent relationships. And then she's going to outline her eight steps that will help us all develop healthier attitudes about ourselves. And by working through these steps, we'll be better able to identify and understand the root source of negative feelings and what course of action to take in order to let them go and free yourself to live your life. Darlene, let them go. Uh, Today is Bastille Day, and that's a pretty good day to to uh, talk about this stuff, isn't it? Yes, it is. And thank you so much, John, for having me on the show. I think it's something to really celebrate, getting free of shame. We're uh, All of us at one hour at a time are very grateful uh, for you sharing. You're going to share a lot of personal stuff with us and, and then also your experience in this field and what you find to be sort of causes, and then you have some solutions, I guess. Uh, You have these eight steps, which you talk about in your book. And I think the big first question, and and I hope I learn more today, too, because we hear guilt, shame, codependency, toxic shame. We hear a lot of these terms thrown around. And I think the first question I want to ask you is, what is the difference between guilt and shame? Yes, it gets very confused because people in the West, Europe and America, don't talk that much about shame as they do in collectivist cultures such as Asia, Russia, Mexico, Latin America. Um, In the West, socialization is more influenced by guilt. It doesn't mean that we have less shame. However, guilt can spill over into shame, and the real difference is with guilt, you feel like, I can't believe I did that, whereas in shame, it's, I can't believe I did that. 
So it's about us as an individual. Shame judges our core self, whereas guilt, we judge our behavior. And guilt is actually beneficial, believe it or not. It can lead to self-empowerment. It reduces antisocial behavior. It leads to self-improvement. It's because we feel redeemable. There's something we can do. And it encourages us to change our behavior. Our focus is on the other person. So we have empathy for the impact of our behavior on them. 12-step programs are wonderful in that they can transform shame into ordinary guilt. And then in the ninth step, we make amends so then we can rectify our past. Whereas shame, on the other hand, feels irredeemable. We feel hopeless and helpless because we're the problem. And even when we focus on other people, it's only what they think of us, not how our um, behavior impacts them. So Mm -hmm. shame leads to more withdrawal and egocentricity and more feelings of powerlessness. It leads to antisocial behavior and aggression. A lot of anxiety, low self-esteem, depression, addiction, PTSD. We feel irredeemable. Right. So those are the main differences. Would it be safe to say that um, in confusing the difference between guilt uh, and shame, guilt is the behavior uh, is wrong, shame is that I'm wrong, or I'm... In our culture, we... uh, we we really kind of tend to when people wallow. I guess they're wallowing in the the effects of this shame. And and I've heard so many people say, "Well, get over it," you know, or you're too self-centered. Is it safe to say there's been a misunderstanding of not only what shame is, but how powerful it is in our lives? And and I, I think you know you're a part of this new understanding of the power of shame. Is is that sort of a safe statement to make? Absolutely. You really summed it up well. And the reason, one of the reasons it's hard to get over it is because once we're in, caught up in this shame, and I'll talk more about toxic shame in a bit, but when it's not, everyone has shame, okay? It's a normal emotion, just like sadness or fear or anger. But some people, including addicts and codependents, um, have toxic shame, and it becomes more pervasive, and then we can, our ordinary shame can spiral into a downward, I call it, falling into the well of shame. And you can't just get over it, because the more you think about it, the worse it gets. So you need tools and um, ways to pull yourself out of it, and that's what my book addresses. I love the quote by Kierkegaard that a despairing man cannot die no more than a dagger can slay thoughts. So in his famous work, Sickness Unto Death, he talks about how you can just be so miserable because you can't do away with yourself unless you commit suicide. Um, You're not going to die. You have to live with these terrible thoughts, this torment been called torment of the soul, sickness of the soul. Yeah. You start the book 
Chapter one is called The Shame Experience, and you tell, and if you don't mind maybe sharing that with our listeners, a personal experience of yours of a shame experience and uh, how you first reacted. And this happened when when you were pretty young. Yeah, I was in junior high school, very vulnerable age, where we're, you know, just starting adolescence, and... I was in a, ended up in a conflict with another girl in the hallway. They had been, it turned out she was a gang member and they had been taunting me and bullying me for several days and finally I just uh, couldn't take it anymore and I shoved her or something. She shoved me back and before we knew it we were on the floor in this tussle and uh, it didn't last very long, but kids were standing around and boys were standing around. And pretty soon, a teacher broke it, broke us up. And when I went home, I discovered that well, my skirt had kind of flown up in the uh, wrestling on the floor, and I discovered there was a little hole in my underwear, <laughs> and I was just mortified. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like so symbolic. It's like, shame is the feeling that you're walking around with dirty underwear that everyone can see. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that oh. you're bad. That you're bad. And I think, yeah, you know, we've, thought we've had many just tremendous writers and, and different folks in the field on our show. And there's always a common thread of us um, um, not feeling good enough. Um uh, and, and shame was not the word that people used. There's always different words for it. Depression, anxiety, I'm never going to make it. I'm not good enough at this. Uh, there's something wrong with me. And I, I just find it very powerful that we can talk about this today because I think as we dig deeper and deeper into this, uh, we're going to talk more. And I guess, you know, my next question when I'm leading up to is you talked about having kind of regular healthy shame, and then you mentioned the term toxic shame, which is is the cause of, of many of these symptoms. So, you know, first off, what is toxic shame, and how do we, how does a person get to where it's toxic? Well, toxic shame is an ordinary shame experience happens, okay, usually in, mm-hmm. in childhood, I can talk about that in a minute, but uh, toxic shame is where ordinary shame becomes chronic. It's like an open wound mm-hmm. from our childhood that is just always there. With some people, it monopolizes their whole personality. With other people, it's probably more common. It's latent. It's just beneath the surface. And the difference between acute shame attack like I described from my childhood, where we feel exposed uh, in front of other people. And that's a specific autonomic nervous system reaction. We might feel nauseous, perspire. Uh, Children will slump, for instance, when they're being scolded. You'll see them hang their head in shame. Mm -hmm. Uh, Adults, we're socialized not to do that, so we might laugh or show a look of contempt, our jaw might tighten, our heart race might feel nauseous or look away. And then our thoughts kind of get numb. We 
become self-absorbed. We can't think clearly or talk clearly. We become very self-critical. And then these overwhelming emotions of feeling the desire to hide or flee. It's kind of a fight-or-flight response of the sympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. I think the most painful part of shame, in my experience, is this profound feeling of alienation. It's like we're unworthy of connection for cause. Mm-hmm. And we feel defeated, self-hatred, weak. A lot of people respond with rage. Yeah. But with toxic shame... These feelings are just beneath the surface, and it can be set off. It doesn't, you don't have to be exposed in front of other people anymore. You can do it in your own mind. You think, I ne- oh, I shouldn't have said that, or I made a mistake, or I talked too long, or I talked too little. It varies with each individual depending on their values and their personal ideals and expectations for themselves. So it doesn't need an external event. Some people are even ashamed of their own dreams or fantasies. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing about toxic shame is not only doesn't it have to be conscious any longer, but it breeds this anxiety. You mentioned the word anxiety. Well, addicts, codependents, and in my opinion, codependency underlies all addiction, and shame underlies codependency and addiction. Uh, There's this anxiety that's just beneath the surface. And usually people don't name it as such, but in my opinion, it's shame anxiety. It's the anxiety of that I'm going to fail, that uh, I'm going to look bad, that I'm not going to be liked, that I'm going to embarrass myself. All these things, and it boils down to really feeling unlovable. And we've, been, we're, we've been talking to Darlene Lancer. I'm, I'll cut you off here. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, Darlene, I'd like to talk. I'm going to you have a really fantastic quote from Mother Teresa, and we'll get to that when we come back. We've been talking with Darlene Lancer. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that'll help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Take charge of your fitness and take charge of your healthy life. 
Listen for Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. Think back over the past week, the past month, the past years. Are you like a lot of other people? Too busy with the kids, work, travel, social calendars, business calendars, the day, the night, this and that. Make the decision to be healthier. Just do it. Chad Austin has made a living from motivating people to stop excuses and make fitness a priority in their lives. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Uh, this is John McAndrew. We've been talking with Darlene Lancer about her book, Conquering Shame and Codependency. And uh, when we, right before we took a break, we were talking about toxic shame and its causes. And, and I want to, Darlene, read a tremendous quote that you have in your book. And it's, it's, it starts Chapter 2, which is titled Shame and Identity. Here's the quote, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of being unwanted. And that's a quote from Mother Teresa. Why did you use that? Well, I think it's true, and because shame is just so debilitating and damaging, and we feel like we don't belong, that we're not loved, we're not lovable, and it really destroys relationships. I think my book is one of the few that really delves into how shame does that. In fact, I wanted to title the book Shame Love Silent Destroyer, Destroyer. Yeah. Um, because it, it does, it underlies a lot of relationship conflict or why people can't find love. Because they don't feel that they're lovable. Your your story of uh, being in school, and, and I, I may be like a lot of listeners, I'm drawn back to school. A lot of things happen to us when, when we're kids. And we had a guest once on our show that said possibly the biggest thing we could do to change uh, the treatment of mental health and substance uh, use disorders in our country is to help kids process their emotions when they're in school, actually have it as a class. And, you know, I remember times in my childhood, I was able to go home and my mother, you know, every once in a while would have time to help me when I felt some shame, the normal shame that you talked about, it was creeping up. I did something that wasn't quite up to my standards or I didn't feel good enough at it, you know, and she would assure me that I was loved, or the nuns would do that in school for me. This leads to my next question. How do we, uh, as children and as adults, I don't know, we always talk about kids like they need more love than adults. Evidently, that's not true. How do we defend against this, and, and what do we do you know, to defend ourselves? Defend from the feeling of shame? Yeah, and and defend against toxic, this 
Okay. Thing that becomes just so chronic, um, and how do we defend against it? Well, we defend against feeling shame by denial. Most people aren't aware that they have this shame. In fact, I thought that my self-esteem was pretty good at one point in my life. This is probably 20 years ago or so. I was even teaching self-esteem, and then I had a dream letting me know that I had shame that I wasn't aware of and that I didn't want to know. So it can hide just beneath the surface. So we repress. That's the first thing. Just like if someone has uh, some symptoms that might look like cancer and they just don't go to the doctor because they don't want to know. The trouble is when we deny something out of our fear, it doesn't take away the problem. The problem gets worse, and then we don't get the help we need. There is help available, and we can recover. There is treatment. So that's the first thing. And people deny their addiction. They deny codependency. And so they continue thinking their problems will go away by themselves. The other defense is withdrawal. So a lot of people don't want to get in a relationship because they're afraid of being rejected or hurt. And they would just withdraw from other people. Yeah. That's a significant defense. And then other people, depending on their personality, some people withdraw, other people will attack. And they're aggressive, like a bully. He's going to put down other people because he doesn't feel good enough inside. Right. It could be a girl, too, but I'm just mm-hmm. using that pronoun. Uh, people criticize, scold. Parents transfer shame that's unconscious in them. They transfer to their children in the way they scold them or blame them. Blame is a defense. Project, it's a form of projection. You're projecting it onto somebody else. So you're not guilty, so you don't have to feel ashamed. Rage is a, a major defense, which is different from ordinary anger. Anger is usually when our needs are frustrated or our wants are frustrated, whereas anger feels like a wound to ourself, that we have to defend ourselves. So we react with rage. Yeah. Another defense is arrogance. People think that narcissists, for instance, have high self-esteem. Well, they may think well of themselves, but underneath is tremendous amount of shame. They're very concerned with how other people think about them, the prestige they have, whether people look up to them. Perfectionism is a defense. The idea that or I should say maybe it's more a compensation. So if I'm perfect, then I don't have to feel that I'm flawed. It's like the opposite. I have to do everything perfectly because underneath I feel so flawed. Envy. And, and how many one. of us, just stop you there, how many of us are uh, just so afraid to try for the fear, fear of failure and then that fear of criticism. You mentioned the word criticism, and there's some really helpful things in the book here. 
uh, about how to criticize, how, you know, yourself and how to take criticism. You have a little section in the shame and identity chapter about parenting styles that can reduce shame. And, and this, uh, I have to tell you, a lot of this book really touched me deeply. I, I've experienced all sorts of stuff, as many people have, with very critical parents who now I see just didn't have the self-esteem and were carrying around tons of shame inside them, and they passed it on. But could you share just a little bit, and and because this really touches me, about parenting styles that can actually reduce shame? And it's never too late to learn any of this stuff, is it? Yes. You know, I was very moved myself in researching this book. I always knew that shame underlied addiction and codependency and about toxic shame. But in researching it further, I learned so much more and regretted that I hadn't known all this before I had children because it's so easy to shame our kids inadvertently. Mm-hmm. I see it all the time, just like in the grocery store uh, or parents even saying, I can't believe you did that. It's just an innocent, it seems like an innocent remark, but it's shaming. So rather than, so we're all going to make mistakes as parents and things come out of our mouth. The best way we can help our children is by healing our own shame. So we're not likely to use these defenses of blame and criticism I know my own self when my children were little and sometimes we planned to, let's say, go to a movie and I couldn't manage to get it together in time and I would blame them for maybe not getting the room clean or something, so now we can't go. I would shift the blame to them rather than taking responsibility for it. So parents do these things. One of the ways that we can... Repair is by apologizing and owning what we've done and reconnecting with them. Because what shame does is it breaks that bridge of love with our children. It pushes them away or they withdraw. They feel something's wrong with them. And their biggest fear is that they're not loved by us. That's the worst feeling. It's emotional abandonment. So by rebuilding that bridge of connection, it goes a long way to repair it and owning our behavior. It's my mistake. I've had clients where our parents said, you're the problem. You're the, you're the one. It's not us. It's you. Freudian analysis years ago would make people feel that way. So does this go back does this go back to the importance of one of the first things you show in the book is this guilt versus shame is to identify uh the difference right because guilt we can do something about right we take ownership we make amends uh forgiveness we love that person if we've hurt them or if they've hurt us so, I mean, is this, this is really a big piece of this, isn't it, is to identify 
the difference between the guilt and the shame. Because the more we talk, and we'll get into this when we talk about codependency, this shame can just be this blind thing that leads you into all sorts of dark places. Unless we, you know, the sooner we can identify it, the better. Well, building awareness is key because then it builds a witness state so that we aren't overwhelmed by shame. We start to know, okay, I'm feeling shame. Now there are things I can do about it. Uh, The other thing with parenting, I'm glad you brought up that distinction again because when parents make global comments about their children, Mm -hmm. you're bad or name-calling or judging them, you're selfish, things like that, you're lazy, you're a failure, you know, those are very shaming versus you have to clean your room, and if you don't, there's a consequence, or you didn't do a chore, or you got a bad grade, so now you can't watch TV, and now rather than shaming the, the individual, you focus on the behavior. I still love you as a person. You're still a good person. Mm-hmm. So that's an important distinction. When parents make global assessments, even you're wonderful, it teaches children that they should judge themselves in global uh, adjectives also. They're all good or right. all bad. Right. So it's better to we've be been, more specific. We've been talking with Darlene Lancer about her new book, Conquering Shame and Codependency. And when we come back, we're going to dive into the codependency piece. This is All this stuff is pretty deep water to get into and try to talk about in an hour, but we're going to continue to do that when we come back with uh, Darlene Lancer. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. Kelly covers our relationship with food and teaches us how easy eating well and living well can be taking us on a weekly food journey, guiding us to a more rich and vibrant life. So tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect 
and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. We've been talking with Darlene Lancer. Uh, and her new book is called Conquering Shame and Codependency, and it's it's been published by Hazelden Publishing. And Darlene, your website, so the listeners can go there even while they're listening to the show if they choose, is www.darlenelancer, D-A-R-L-E-N-E-L-A-N-C-E-R.com. And you also have another website, and you're offering some tips for letting go on that other website. Could you give that to us? Yes, I'd be happy to. It's what is codependency all run to word all run together, the words dot mm-hmm. com. And there's fourteen tips for letting go for free on there. If you sign into my mailing list you'll you'll get it. And your book is available, I'm sure. The book Conquering the- Shame and Codependency is on Amazon. And elsewhere, there's a link on my website, and also Codependency for Dummies is available all over. There's links on my website and a couple e-books I've written, How to Speak Your Mind, Become Assertive and Set Limits, 10 Steps to Self-Esteem, and Codependency Recovery Daily Reflections, which is 365 Pages of links and information and inspiration and a lot of information awesome. in that. And if people wanted to contact you for a speaking engagement or presentation, uh, can they do that through the, uh, your website? Oh, yes. If anyone wants to contact me, my email is info at DarleneLancer.com, and it's on my website. Okay. Very good. Well, you've been awful busy, and... and uh, and I, for one, am glad because I'm learning a lot today. Chapter 5 is Shame and Symptoms of Codependency. Now, codependency is another word that gets thrown around and tossed around. And I want you to go back just to very basics for someone like me and explain to me what does codependency uh, mean and what does it look like? Well, codependency is a starts in childhood. And a codependent is someone who can't function from their innate self, and it's usually because of this shame and emotional abandonment. And instead, they organize their thinking and behavior around another person or a process, such as gambling or sex addiction or a substance. So that's my definition of codependency. I, I look at it not just behaviorally, but at the core self. Shame informs a lot of those symptoms of codependency. 
you have in here a term that I've not seen. Uh, it's called impaired self-esteem. You, you evidently feel this is pretty important because this is how you start off. Yeah, I after. use that. I used to refer to it as low self-esteem. Yeah. But in thinking more about it, narcissists have impaired self-esteem because it's not realistic. It's inflated. They still have shame underneath. So sometimes people think too much of themselves. Their self-esteem is not healthy self-esteem. And criticism, and healthy criticism, and confidence, and trust, and all these very basic sorts of things that if you're lucky enough, you learn learn them early, but when we don't, they start to domino, don't they? And, and I can see how a person, how this shame starts the domino effect in all these processes in our life, and it turns into that acute or toxic shame, which you believe, uh, is the fire or the fuel for codependency, right? Yes. And the one thing I didn't add about toxic shame is that it turns ordinary acute shame experience into something that can last for not just hours, but days or months. And the feelings that surround an acute event become much more intense. And so then it can lead to feelings of hopelessness and loneliness and depression and despair. And there's a lot of depression that underlies codependency and addiction. That's pretty well accepted. People used to think that depression was anger turned inwards. More and more they're seeing that it's shame. But, you know, there's the two... Ideas are not that far apart because shame is anger turned inwards. Mm -hmm. So the person that becomes diagnosed with depression and anxiety disorders, now I, I think a lot of people call that a brain disease these days, thought and mood disorders. Um, this is like a chicken and the egg question, you know. What came first, the shame or the brain's inability to process properly, whether it's serotonin, and I'm not a doctor, but stuff's going on in the brain that's not working properly. Do you think we're going to get to the point where we we find out that, that, that possibly shame and the lack of the process of that is affecting us physically as well? And oh, I, I think I know yeah. that it does affect us physically. I yeah. haven't looked at MRIs on that of the brain, but... You know, I don't think it's an either-or question. That's kind of our linear black-and-white thinking because our behavior changes our brain. They know now about uh, gene expression, that we can actually turn on and turn off genes based on our behavior. And it's been shown, actually, that psychotherapy changes our brain chemistry. Uh -huh. So we definitely can heal through psychotherapy, and through our behavior. In the literature on shame, it's shown that people who have shame in their childhood can actually recover based on the events in their lives and how their actions 
So not everybody who has shaming in their childhood is destined to have this toxic shame their whole life. Some people, because of the choices they make in their life, build confidence, and they can change the direction of their life that way. So not everybody is, you know, sentenced with this toxic shame if you had it in childhood. And that's the message I want to get across with this book, too, is that we can recover. And there's things we can do about it to change. But first means becoming aware of the problem. Which is uncovering the shame, right? Uncovering it, right, and, and facing it. You have listed eight steps, and, and you believe they're essential to recover from shame. And we might start with just the first couple here, and then when we get into the last section, we can build more on it. But the first one is find your true self. What does that mean? Well, getting to know yourself is the beginning. Getting to know what you feel, what your values are, what you like, what you don't like. Some people know that, but other people have been so blanketed by shame, their their true self, and so much adapting to other people based on their childhood. Maybe they had a very controlling parent, or maybe they lived in a family that was a lot of neglect or addiction. <laughs> and... They had to become who their parent wanted them to be. So getting back to who we really are, to start to have a sense of that. And our feelings often get shamed in childhood, so then we repress them. The same with our needs. Our needs can get shamed, and so we deny our needs. And these are typical symptoms of codependence. They deny feelings and needs. So starting to find out what those are, and I spend several chapters in codependency for dummies, helping people yeah. with different exercises to get in touch with that. Right. And part when of we that, come back, when we come back, Darlene. I think we'll we'll pick up uh, after finding you know find your true self, and in all these um, essential steps, you give you give really concrete practices to do and and it looks like everything is practiced like all good stuff you have to practice and we come back we'll pick back up with uncovering your shame and finding your shame's roots and and the rest of these steps we've been talking to Darlene Lancer and we'll be right back your life your health your network You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is our last uh, section speaking with Darlene Lancer, and we've been talking. She has many, many books out. We've been talking about con- conquering shame and codependency today, but she's uh, also written Codependency for Dummies and uh, Steps to Ten Steps to Self-Esteem. You can go to her website www.darlenelancer.com. Learn where to order the book. Uh, learn more about her. Contact her. Uh, and uh, please do that before the day is out, and I think she'd appreciate hearing from you as well. The book is published, of course, by the Hazelden Foundation, Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation, and I think folks know that Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation's been around since uh, 1949, so the Betty Ford Center and facilities all over the United States. It's the largest recovery publishing house in the country, so... Uh, their footprint is enormous, and the, the millions of people, literally, that they have helped is uh, really a testimony of what they do. So you can go to org and get more information from them. So, Darlene, we we ended. You have eight steps, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of a dummy about this. So these this is really laid out really simply, and there's practices to that you can do on a daily basis. So first of all, find your true self, and you described how many people lose that in this battle with shame and codependency. Then uncover your shame. And the third one, hopefully we can get through all eight of these in the next few minutes. Find your shame's roots. Tell us more about that. Yeah, that means going back to your childhood, trying to recall messages like big boys don't cry or you have to be a lady, uh, you shouldn't be afraid. If you cry, I'll give you something to cry about, something more to cry about. Uh, don't get angry. Messages you had in childhood, and there may be specific events where there was abuse or whether a dream of yours became something that was put down 
Mm-hmm. Just these different events, imagery, messages from your family. And often there's family secrets, and that creates a whole pervasive feeling of shame. Many people I see who've gone through divorce, who their parents divorced, mm-hmm. end up feeling shame because they don't feel loved by maybe the non-custodial parent who's no longer around or has more children, and then they feel like they aren't worthy of love. Or they did something wrong to cause. They, yes, uh, young yeah. children blame themselves for divorce. So yeah. going through that and the different things, maybe that your parents didn't show up for a a sports event or an award you got and you thought that they didn't care or they were very critical. There's so many ways that an individual can feel shame. And, of course, as you mentioned in school, so many people I've seen have been very traumatized by shame by their teachers or other kids in school bullied them or they had to get up in front of the class and were shamed or humiliated by the teacher. So list those things and become, start to become aware of when you're feeling shame. I tell people, if you have what I describe as a shame attack, write, it down, write down all the details, all your thoughts, your feelings, your physical symptoms, which will vary yeah. between people. And then disarm it, huh? Well, that I suggest getting in touch with your critic. Those inner voices that you have that are either pushing you and judging you, criticizing you, your perfectionists. I call them the tyrannical trio in Codependency for Dummies. The pusher, (laughs) the perfectionist, and the critic. And your perfectionist sets you these impossible ideals, so you're always failing, and your pusher pushes you to achieve them, and then your critic finds fault with you. Wow, what a committee that is. Right, exactly. So you want to become acutely aware, again, because we can't change what we're not aware of. What we don't know ends up controlling us. I have a little YouTube up on codependency recovery, where I give an example of ways that you can become more familiar with your critic. Even I say, wear a rubber band. So every time you have negative self-talk, that you snap yourself. Yeah, and then you want to learn to disarm the critic by engaging in conversation with it, find out its motives. Often, the critic's intention is good. It wants to prevent you from experiencing shame, prevent you from failing, prevent you from being rejected. There are better ways to do that than self-criticism. And then to share it. You have here disarm it, confront it, and then to share Yes. yes. Sharing in 12-step programs mm-hmm. is a great way to start to reduce your shame. People are usually very nervous about talking about themselves at a meeting when they first go, but over time, 
they feel start to feel more comfortable in revealing themselves. There's a joke about when people share at meetings that there's the share that they think about, there's the share that they give, and then there's the share that they judge afterwards. So there's three different shares. <laughs> so that's all like, you know, an example of how shame preoccupies our thoughts and takes us out of the moment. And sharing with a therapist. There are a lot of things that maybe are too personal to share at a meeting, and you develop that trust over time. Yeah. And then build your self-esteem and love yourself for the last two. And they sound like maybe results of doing the other ones. Is that true? Well, part of it. But right. there's specific things in building your self-esteem, which also means honoring your feelings. So many people with their their critic will shame their feelings. Oh, I shouldn't feel sad. I should be over it by now. Or I shouldn't have gotten angry. So just honoring your feelings and your needs. Classically, codependents sacrifice their needs for someone else. So finding out what your needs are and meeting them and knowing what you want. A lot of codependents don't even know what they want if they stop focusing on their addiction, whether it's another person or something else. They feel a lot of emptiness because their wants were never acknowledged and encouraged as children. So getting in touch with those wants, honoring them, keeping commitments to yourself, and taking risks. A great way to build self-esteem is taking reasonable risks. And then you learn something new about yourself, and you have a new self-concept. And then finally, you know, loving yourself, and there's many, many examples in the book. I, I want to personally thank you for coming on today and sharing. Really, you've shared many, many years of experience with other human beings that have struggled with. We've just touched the iceberg today about shame and codependency, but you give us, you know, eight steps to, to really freeing the true you. Again, Darlene Lancer's uh, book is available now, and you can go to www.darlenelancer.com. Get all the information that you would need uh, to find out more about her and her other books. Again, we at One Hour at a Time, thank you very much for being on our show. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Bye, everybody. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.